welcome to the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. I'm Wes Avon, the director of the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life. This is the Out of the Park podcast series from the Fran Park Center. As part of our ongoing interest in questions of faith and the common good, this week we are remembering a webinar that we did uh, during the height of the pandemic on themes of the common good called Can We Share the Future? One of those webinars was with Dr. Miroslav Volf, professor of theology at Yale Divinity School and director of the Center for Faith and Culture. Uh, Dr. Volf and I uh, had a webinar with uh, several others participating on the question of home and common good. We are taking those and putting them into three podcasts for you. This is the first today with, again, Dr. Miroslav Volf. So let me tell you a little bit about our speaker tonight. Uh, Miroslav Volf is currently the Henry V. Wright Professor of Theology and the director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. I am happy, and I should also say honored, to count him as both a colleague and a friend. While serving on the Divinity School faculty together, I enjoyed uh, more than an institutional affiliation with Miroslav. As we worshiped together, we broke bread and even watched our children play together now and then. I came to know him as a strong theologian, a gifted teacher, and a profound public intellectual. He has interests in the implications of the gospel for a global community that goes deep and his connections are worldwide. He co-taught, in fact, on globalization for several years with former uh, British Prime Minister Tony Blair at Yale. And his course, a course he developed on happiness, you'll correct me if I'm wrong on this, Miroslav, Life worth your living. course on happiness and human flourishing, what? Life worth living. Life worth living became the most popular course taught at Yale University. And his book on theological education called For the Life of the World, co-authored with Matthew Crossman, makes a nice case for what we do here at the Friend Park Center for Faith and Life and this very series of webinars. So I want to ask you a couple of questions, Miroslav, to help orient us toward your talk. Uh, the title of our series is Can We Share the Future? Dialogues on the Common Good. And you've beautifully chosen the theme of home as a way into that question. So before we hear your reflections, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about how you chose that theme of home as a way into this question for us and in a way that we might uh, be good listeners to your talk tonight. You know, when I think about common goods, um, that is to say the goods that we are all invested in and we jointly enjoy and do not necessarily possess, or even we possess, uh, we possess as something that belongs in a sense to all of us. When I think about that, I think of the Guilford, little town in which I live, Guilford Green. That's mm -hmm. a common good, that green. Some of you know New England uh, greens. If anybody wants to do something on Guilford Green, uh, uh, it, you have to pass through committees and so forth, and it's a bureaucracy. But what's behind this bureaucracy is that it, this belongs to all of us, and nobody has right to do anything on the green that 
impacts us, but in which we don't have any, any say. And in some ways, this is the, my hometown at the heart of it is a common good that we all cherish. We're all invested in it. For instance, I'm very proud that none of the big chains has, has, their, uh, has their store on the Guilford Green. It's, uh, it's supposed to be our place and it is our place. And for it to be our common place, we need to be invested. And I thought of it as something very much like a home. So when I think about common space, I think of something that I feel at home with, that I'm invested in as if it were my home. As I speak, what I would invite you is to uh, think of your home uh, or think of a home that you would aspire to have. Think of the kinds of relationships you would want to have, not just to people, but also to things. And then after you imagine that, try to imagine how a neighborhood, how a city, how a nation, indeed how an entire planet would look like if it were our home. Now, I know this is a dream, <laughs> but I want you to dream with me because I think an idea of the common good often is predicated on a dream in which things that surround me are different than they actually are. And I think our future depends a bit on our ability to dream such a world, which is to say dream of the world, which we hold in common. Thank you. Then tonight, Miroslav Wolf, friend, we are yours. Okay, so with these few comments about home in mind, I'll try to after brief introductory remarks about importance of the image and idea of home, I'll speak about our individual homes, what makes this feeling of home. I'll talk about how homes are also endangered and what endangers them. And then I'm gonna uh, kind of uh, sketch a contrast between kind of unhomed world and the world that has become home that comes from the very end of the Bible from the book of Revelation. So first a few introductory remarks. There are times in which utopia is the only realism. There are times in which utopia, that is to say, in which dreams are the only reality or only realism. Now, George Steiner ended with this sentence, an essay about the state of humanities in modern universities. I think that the sentence is even more appropriate to our topic today, being at home in the world or as I might put it, imagining and creating a space in which we as communities and as humanity as a whole, which we experience as a common space of belonging. This is our space, common space. There are times, however, wrote Steiner, word which I didn't read from this quote, but this, however, is implied that there is also that there in, in the idea that there also in that word is implied that there are also other kinds of times, ordinary times in which ordinary things happen as ordinary things ordinarily do. Reality is then reality and utopia, utopia is then very opposite of reality. Utopia is then a dream a nowhere land and a never land. But in times that only seem ordinary, 
because out of jointness of things has been normalized. I think we live in such times that seem ordinary, but even when we don't have COVID, but out of jointness of things has been normalized. In such times, such extraordinary times, the reality itself can become its own ghost. A utopian dream may then be the only way we can hold on to reality and return to reality. On one level, home, our topic today, is very much a tangible reality. We can point to it. Here it is. We say bringing visitors from the first time to our place. There is Mr. Smith's home, and here next to it is our home. But despite having a home for many of us, home is also a utopian dream. Every home is. What we describe as our home is often just a crash pad. It could be an address, a place where we, in fact, don't feel particularly at home. A place inhabited by people who are not our home. When it comes to a larger world, the entire planet, we do speak of the Earth as our only home. And yet, we are often alienated from it, except for occasionally enjoying a sunset over the island's stern horizon of an ocean, or perhaps filling our lungs with fresh air while standing in awe before some majestic mountain, perhaps in case, except in cases like these, the world strikes us as cold and violent place. The world sometimes strikes us more as a threat than a refuge. To imagine the world as our home, we must dream of a social and material space that is a different world than the one we inhabit, different self than the one we actually are, a different relationship between the self and the world than the one we actually have. So this lecture is about utopian dream of a common home. It's about the dream itself. It's about what keeps it from becoming a reality. It's about a peculiar hope that may set us on a journey of making at least some of, dream, some of that dream into reality. One of the great thinkers of the world as home is Ernst Bloch. For him too, home was an image for the world's wholeness, and as such, it was also a utopian dream. At the very end of his major work, it's entitled The Principle of Hope, he gives a kind of poetic expression to the hope of a world as a home. And he writes, there arises in the world something which shines in the childhood of all and in which no one has yet been home, in which no one has yet been home. Now, echoing experiences of a happy early childhood, home pulls together many lines of human longing with respect to place, with respect to people, and it pulls them into a single object of hope for what is not yet. 
all human history for Bloch is a story of humans making the world into a genuine human and common home. That's the hope, at least. Ernst Bloch and earlier I mentioned George Steiner, the two dreamers, um, they were Jewish thinkers with the belief in the one God, the creator of the world, the Jews introduced in, into the world a transcendent ideal. In the interface with great national catastrophes, slavery in Egypt and exile in Babylon, that transcendent ideal gave birth to prophetic visions. Like, the God, like God's great promise announced by the prophet Isaiah. For I am about to create new heavens and the new earth. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I'm about to create Jerusalem as joy and its people as delight. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion should, shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Now, secular messianism of which Bloch is a representative is part of that prophetic Jewish tradition. But centuries earlier, that same tradition has given, had given rise to the hopes, eschatological hopes of the early Christians. They reworked the story of Abraham who left his father's house to become a pilgrim on the way to the land of promise. And in Christian rendering of that story, even while he was in the promised land, Abraham lived as a foreigner and intense. Why? Because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That city we read in the epistle to the Hebrews was his true homeland. Over many centuries, from ancient Greek Hebrew prophets all the way to our day, people have kept alive a dream of being at home in our common world. But what do we mean by home? A colleague of mine here at Yale, uh, a poet, Christian Weimann, I hope that some of you have read his poetry. Um, he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful poet and wonderful essayist. He has written an introduction to a collection of poems that is about to be published uh, about home. And then he mentions there, home can be a house, home can be a country, a language, a love, a longing, a grief, a God. And then he adds, when, you know, a world word means everything, then the words act, word actually means nothing. So I better clarify what I mean here by home. First thing that comes to mind when we think of, of home today is likely what an apartment, um, a house in which we live. And home then is for us maybe first of all, this physical space. But home is not just a material dwelling place. 
maybe when we dig a little bit deeper down, even primarily home is the people who live there. Today, often a nuclear family, parents, children, whether biological or adopted. So the home becomes not just a material physical space, but home is at the same time, we can describe it as a social space. Now, as both social and material space, homes are bounded. Fences and walls separate particular home from the wider public space. They divide one home from another. The roof is there to shield it from the elements. And then there are these invisible, but nonetheless real boundaries, which separate those who are members from those who are not. At the same time, those boundaries of homes must be passable. Homes have doors for their members to leave and to return, for the bounty of the earth and the fruits of others' labors to come in, for the garbage to get out as well. They have windows for the light to come in, for the air to circulate, and for people inside to see what's going on outside in the neighbor's yard whether that's the sun-bathed bluebird resting on a fence. I miss those bluebirds. They come uh, mainly in summer in Connecticut. And so I'm waiting for one of those uh, the, the, to, 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 to be on the, on the fence in my yard. So whether that's that bluebird that I'm longing for, or whether that's a, a kind of bustling street um, full of cars and people, take down its boundaries and the home is undone. It kind of merges with the rest of the world. But if you close all its openings, it turns into a grave. So this description of home so far might suggest that home is a, a kind of patterned cluster of entities. Some of those entities are alive and moving. Other entities are inanimate, they're stationary. But that's not quite right, true. Without such entities, particularly people and things, there wouldn't be anything to call home. Say a shopping cart and the place for a mat under a bridge are really not a home, but belongings and insecure territory of a vulnerable homeless person. At the same time, you can have a bounded material social space and still be without home. Some of you have read C.S. Lewis's great book, Great Divorce. If you haven't, take it and read it. It's it's fun uh, read. And in that book, he has a description of Napoleon, who is, and that, this is now a description of hell. You've got to read the book in order to understand uh, why that's a description of hell. But let's leave it uh, at that. Who is living actually in a palace that he himself has designed and he's pacing through its opulent, large, and well-lit rooms. But what is he doing? He's incessantly blaming everyone but himself for the abysmal failure of his grand ventures. Like many wealthy people today, he's got a splendid house, but he doesn't have a home. A patterned cluster of entities is not yet home. Crucial to home are active relations among these entities. You can maybe put it this way, it may seem radical thing. Home is not a thing. Home is a vital process. Home happens among persons 
and between persons and other entities, whether they are living or inanimate. So home happens, it's not a thing. So the question then becomes, what are some of the key relations that make up something to be a home? First such relations I want to name is resonance. Now, what do I mean by resonance? Resonance comes about when I am affected by a person, when I'm affected by things, when I'm affected by a whole network of persons and things in such a way that I let myself be transformed in an encounter that I cannot fully control. Namely, just tiny bit transformed, but nonetheless, they have affected me and I have changed. Simply put, relationship is resonant when persons and things speak to me. Now, at home, I think that's characteristic of home, that many things speak to us. I get a whiff of a smell from the kitchen or hear a well-known steps approaching and they tell me a story that make me smile or maybe frown. I see a scratch on the table. I feel a rug under my bare feet and memory is triggered and I feel at home. Everything speaks. Second, home involves relations of strong attachment. I have a bond to people and place that make up my home. Like a child has a bond to its toy, to, to his or her toy piggy. If they were to disappear from my life, I would feel diminished, often devastated, even at times bereft of the meaning of life because I fear the loss. And perhaps for other reasons as well, I tend to actively care for the people and things that make up home. And here, it's, this is important and it speaks to the idea of the common good. I experience them in a, a, in a very deep and kind of non-proprietary sense as mine. They belong to me, but not so much as what I in some exclusive sense have, though that may be the case as well, but they are mine as being part of who I am. So that's the attachment, I'm attached to them. The third, home requires mutuality. Now, if this resonance and attachment are simply one-sided, if only I resonate with people, but they do not resonate with me. If only I feel that they're part of me, but they don't feel that I'm part of them. I may be living in a place and cohabiting it with others, but I really would not be at home. I cannot properly feel at home with you if you don't feel at home with me. Similarly, if there is no shared vision about what belongs into the home and what should stay out, as well as how boundaries should be maintained, how the relationships between people and things should be structured, a sense of home would likely be lost. So the shared vision, common vision, common belonging and common vision are fundamental to the experience of home. And finally, social and material space and social and material space, home endures over time. And that's where we come to the common 
vision, common goods that stretch themselves into the future, but come to us from the past. A hotel suite is not a home unless we move in. A gathering for a pleasant social experience or utilitarian association to better achieve some goal doesn't make one a member of household. Home then is an enduring social and material space. It's a site of resonance, site of attachment, site of mutuality. That idea, which is both a reality, reality in many of our lives, but it is at the same time a utopian dream. This is what, what makes me want to return to home when I'm away. That idea too is what makes me want to invest time, energy in home making, in creating, in protecting, in cultivating relations that make home a common reality. Homemaking in this comprehensive sense is labor of love, love experienced, but love also given. It is deeply rewarding, but hard work when it comes to nuclear homes. And it's even harder when it comes to our most co encompassing common home, which is the entire human family living on the blue planet. We're going to end things here for today and hope that you'll tune in next week for part two of this uh, remembered webinar, now podcast, called Can We Share the Future on Themes of Faith and Common Life with Dr. Miroslav Wolf. And I'm Wes Avram, hoping that you will tune in to others of our podcast series uh, in the Out of the Park podcast from the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.framparkcenter.org.